This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Good to have you tuning in tonight. So uh, the Oilers practice today. Not everybody was uh, on the ice. Some of the more high-minute players uh, skipped this one. You didn't have uh, Drysaddle out there. No McDavid, Nuge, Nurse, Smith, Keith, Kane. Kyler Yamamoto did not skate. I yet thought Yamamoto wasn't fantastic in Game 7, by the way. Involved in both goals. Didn't get an assist on the first one, but made that leaping play to keep the puck in at the blue line. And that set up what was eventually the game winner from uh, Cody Ceci. Uh, so with Leon Dreisaitl, Jay Woodcroft uh, didn't say much, just said he's very good. We know that Dreisaitl is battling something, perhaps a high ankle sprain, and uh, clearly, clearly was gutting it out and not at 100%, but still played over 22 minutes in Game 7 against the Los Angeles Kings. So the Oilers practice again tomorrow, and then the uh, game coming up, on Wednesday at Calgary, 5.30 for the face-off show, and the puck will drop at 7.30 here on 6.30. Chet, the Edmonton Oil Kings are into the Eastern Conference Championship, and uh, they're going to start on the road. So Friday and Saturday at Winnipeg, it's going to be a 2-3-2 format. So games 3, 4, and 5 if necessary in Edmonton. That'll be Monday the 23rd, Wednesday the 25th, and Friday the 27th. You can go to oilkings.ca to get the schedule and uh, more information on tickets and uh, all that kind of fun stuff. I also want to let you know, this is really cool. If you know somebody who bleeds orange and blue, you can nominate them to win a pair of Oilers tickets for the Battle of Alberta. We're accepting nominations at 630ched.com. We want to hear about the super fan in your life who deserves to win a pair of tickets to see an Oilers playoff game. Go to the Oilers Super Fan Contest. It's on the contest page on 630ched.com. And make your submission. Think about that. Sending somebody who is an Oilers super fan to a playoff game. The atmosphere in Rogers place has been. I I struggle to find. I was going to say incredible, but I, I don't think that's specific enough. It's been boisterous. It's been raucous. It's been passionate. As I expected it to be a nice little touch in the uh, in the well, not the pregame video. Well, they did. They did change the pregame pump up video with more specific highlights from the series and and incorporating the words game seven and things like that. But then during the national anthem and Robert Clark, as I'm sure you've seen, has been holding he's been in the stands to sing the anthem, but he only sings part of the anthem and then he holds it up and everybody sings along as Paul Lorio inspired back in 2006. Uh, and then at the end of the anthem on Saturday, they cut in 
some footage of Joey Moss belting out the anthem like he used to do. So that was that was pretty awesome and I think pretty inspirational and certainly got people going. So it's it's been a great environment. Um yeah, I mean the the one thing I've been asked a lot from coworkers and friends, what's it like in the building? <laughs> it's like, well, it's uh it's excitement and it's passion and it's imagine the most excitement that you could imagine at a sporting event times, I don't know, five times 10. That's kind of what it's like being in the building. And I'm not even right in, in the fans. I can hear everything very well. I can see everything very well. Um, but I'm just, I mean, at the, I'm at the very top of the building when I watch the games, I'm on the eighth floor and I'm in the broadcast booth. So I, I got a great kind of overview of everything so I, I'm, I'm not exactly in the thick of it well i shouldn't say I, no, during the game i'm not in studio 99 and as i was referencing after the game i'm definitely in the thick of it and that that scene in studio 99 after the orders won game seven that was the most joyful environment i've been in when it comes to Oilers fans now we weren't always in studio 99 uh, it's it's a, a relatively recent addition to our to our broadcast format, uh, and, and unfortunately during the pandemic we weren't in there. We weren't in there for most of this season until uh, I think it was that afternoon game against New Jersey. We went back in there, but going back in there on Saturday night and just and and like I, I unfortunately sometimes when you think about sports fans celebrating. You know, it's well. There was a riot here, or this was some destruction. I I know in White Ave uh, in 2006, I wasn't living in Edmonton at the time, but of course I was following it closely and seeing all the stories. And I know sometimes things got out of hand on the White Ave with you know property not being respected and people peeing everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and hopefully that you know, hopefully we we stay away from that. And I, I think more of it's going to be centered around downtown and and the plaza and 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 this that type of stuff this year, but. Um, I, I think sometimes when you think about sports fans celebrating a big win, unfortunately, there might be a, a negative connotation to that. You know, destruction of property, excessive alcohol intake, you know, some stupidity and recklessness. It, it wasn't really like that in Studio 99. And it was pretty much packed after the game. And it was it was just happiness. And yes, there were clearly some people who had consumed some beverages that may have altered their mindset. But it wasn't like people, you know, being being stupid and slobbering on each other and smashing stuff. It, it was just joy, and it was just we we won this game, and our team played really well, and uh, and now we're going to be happy. So I, I, it was just neat for me to be in that environment, and doing the the call in show overtime open line after games. This is now my ninth season of uh, of doing this job, so. That was, it was just really cool to, to experience for that. Uh, we'll take a quick time out and uh, we'll bring Craig McTavish on Inside Sports on 630 Chet. He joins us every couple of weeks on Inside Sports, courtesy Avalon Foundation Repair, Western Canada's leading basement waterproofing company for over 50 years, home of the lifetime warranty. Craig McTavish checking in tonight. Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. How are you? I am doing great. I am very happy yeah. there is going to be a Battle of Alberta. I, I want to see another one, and I think fans who haven't seen one deserve to see one. So we'll go there in a couple minutes. But let's start with... 
The is transformation an appropriate word? The Oilers from game four and five to the Oilers we saw in game six and seven. Well, even six and seven were different games for me. I think uh, game six was a really gritty effort by the Oilers. I mean, it looked at the end of the game when it was tied there that they were wearing down and the Kings were starting to take it to us a little bit. But, you know, they found a way. Uh, Lee on, on one leg, kind of hurting to make the play to Barry to win that game, which was fantastic. And then game seven was just an absolute Picasso of a effort from the group. And, you know, a good, absolutely a good time to roll out a near perfect game by the Oilers on game seven. The only thing that was in question was our, 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 our finish. We deserved more. We should have been in a better situation at the end of two, but, uh, you know, and, we have historically sagged when we're in that situation and we absolutely didn't, which, uh, you know, is, is a great sign for uh, the battle of Alberta coming up. Yeah. I, I, I like how you call game seven a Picasso and, and certainly a game that could have been four or five, nothing with a couple of shots that went in. And, and maybe if Jonathan quick wasn't simply outstanding, speaking of being outstanding, can you touch on what you saw from McDavid in game six and seven? And is there any comparison to some of the other great players you played with and coached along the way in terms of that ability to almost just go out there and say, you know, follow me, everybody. We're not losing tonight. Well, absolutely. And he's definitely embraced and learned the price superstars have to pay to have success at this level. And there was always something somewhat lacking in his previous playoff encounters and uh, it's not lacking anymore and it's hard to say uh, where he found it but he definitely found another gear and uh, has you know totally committed himself to carrying this team just as far as humanly possible and just incredible effort and you talk about big game players like what what's What's that mean, actually? What, what does a big game player mean? Well, it's players that do things that outside of their scope of their skill set normally. And, I mean, Connor, when he came out with the hit on Jersey to start the game and ignite the crowd, not that they needed ignition, but to ignite the crowd in, in that way and set the tone. If you're, I mean, that that had to have a huge impact on uh, on everybody on that oiler bench to see that. And if he's going out and doing that, and I mean, him playing at this level with this intensity, it's, it's a hard, hard, uh, hard, hard, he's a hard guy to stop. That's for sure. And certainly been an amazing uh, playoff to this point for Connor and it, I mean, I, I don't see it backing off at all either, but yeah, d- definitely comparison. He's almost, he has, he has characteristics and traits of both Mark and Wayne. And, uh, you know, Wayne had the processing ability that was super elite and Mark had the power game and the physical game and Connor's kind of a, a, a bit of a blend of both those things. 
Yeah, I like how you put that. I think that's a fair analysis because McDavid can go out there and, and mix it up a little bit and bang bodies when he wants to. You referenced Dreisaitl basically playing on one leg. I'm sure you played hurt. We know Messier played hurt. I mean, anybody who's watched Tekanen's goal from 91 can see Messier, you know, almost struggling to walk onto the ice to celebrate. Can you take us behind the scenes about the trainer involvement, the coach involvement? I'm sure the player always thinks he can play. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. all these, all these things that you, you you want the guy on the ice, but there has to be that line where it's like, okay, when might we be hurting him or hurting ourselves uh, if we put him out there too much? Like what goes into that to make sure a guy can go? I think the player, you're bang on with the player. The player would be always, okay, I can play, but, you know, what's my level of effectiveness going to be with this level of injury? And, uh, you know, that, that really is the standard. And what can you do to mitigate some of the negative factors that are going to occur because of this injury, whether it's, whether it's pain, um, you know, risking further injury is right at the top of that list. Uh, you don't want to put a player in a situation that he's he's going to further injure uh, what's already a pretty significant injury. And if the doctor determines that it can't be, uh, the, the injury can't be worsened, then how do you mitigate the pain? And what do you what are you going to do? Uh, to overcome trying to play with the pain. And, I mean, it was pretty clear to me early that Leon wasn't going to have the, the 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 speed that he normally has. He just didn't look like he could torque his leg at the level that uh, uh, he uh, a healthy Leon could. You, you remember back and you think about the goal, the first goal in game three where – Leon and Connor both had, you know, they've got a two-on-one, but Kempe's chasing Leon, who outside of Connor, Kempe might be the fastest guy in the league, and he couldn't catch Leon. And Leon has that type of speed. Uh, it's hard-working speed. He's not as fluid a skater as Connor, obviously, but he's a, a, a he's a functional speed ball, and. Uh, you know, he didn't have that card in in his deck that night, but he was supported with great speed with uh, Tyler on the wing and and, uh, and and playing with Connor too as well. So he was able to get the puck and still make plays. He played 22 minutes. I mean, th- these guys are, uh, I mean, if there's ever any question that these, has there ever been any question these guys want to win, those answers are uh, right in front of us. You gave me another uh, phrase I can drop in. He's a functional speedball. I like how you put that. That's a, that's a yeah. good one. <laughs> he's McTavish a hard skater, but he's fast. <laughs> Craig McTavish joining us on Inside Sports tonight. I, I want to touch, and I know I'm going to flash back to game six here, and then we're going to look ahead to the next round. It appears Dreisaitl was further uh, shaken up when he was taken down by Mikey Anderson in that scrum. I'm wondering about what you thought of that play and if you think the NHL and its officials need to have a different approach towards scrums in general. Because I'm sure there were times in your career playing and coaching as well, you might have been frustrated by something that happened in a scrum. Well, the scrum, you know, is is normally handled 
by the official. And uh, in that situation, it would have been easy to give a penalty and uh, penalize the team. Penalties are hugely impactful in tight playoff series, as you know, and they're all going to be tight from this point forward. But you remember back to Bill McCreary, like Bill would just, I mean, that was his trademark call. He would be taking one guy out of every scrum. And I mean, I didn't always agree with the guy that he was taking out of the scrum, but that was his textbook call. And that was his way of dealing with the antics uh, after the whistle. And I'm hopeful that our guys don't get drawn into that in the, in the upcoming series, because I, I think we're a team that's best served playing uh, whistle to whistle and forgetting about the stuff that goes on after the whistle. And uh, I think Calgary is going to be trying to draw us into that type of stuff. And I hope, you know, especially the stars, aren't going to have the energy to get involved in that stuff or, or need to conserve their energy to do other things that are more valuable. Okay. Craig, I'm going to throw you a a question here that uh, Kellen got sent in on the text line and he passed it along to me. And I know you've been very modest in our conversations in the past about your contributions in 2006, but I will just read the text the way it came in and you can take your answer wherever you want. This texter says, can you please ask Mr. McTavish, with the way you outcoached Babcock and came out basically playing the trap, fooling Babcock's plans in 2006, what would you do to throw at Sutter something he wouldn't be expecting? Wow, that's a good one, eh? <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. That's, uh, and the, the, uh, the, the uh, person that wrote in with the question forgot to include that our goaltender was way better than their goaltender. <laughs> I think it was more a question of that than, uh, than coaching. But we, I mean, we made the tactical change. I think it was important because they had, you know, they, they had superior skill and we needed more guys above the puck. It's not a lot different than what Jay's done when, when he came in here, on the coaching change uh, from Dave. He's made sure that we have more people above the puck in a position to support the defense who can gap up then and feel a little bit protected from the the tracking, they call it now. And, uh, you know, so it's not a lot different. I think for me, I think Calgary, their game plan is going to be to control the front of our net. They're going to go to the front of our net really aggressively they're going to target our stars uh really aggressively i think uh you know our stars are going to have to be super alert and aware out there because they're going to be facing a lot of predators that would love the opportunity to end the series for some of our stars and we have to be super aware of that and we got to fight our battles wisely and uh you know, this, the power play is going to favor us. I think the special teams will favor us. How this series is officiated is going to be really important for me uh, to see. Every year there's a, a series manager that will go in and talk to the coaches, and they're going to be trying to take liberties with with uh, with Connor for sure, uh, Leon, 
Um, I mean, obviously Kane and Hyman and Nurse are going to be harder to, to, to draw into that stuff because they're capable of holding their own in that type of environment. But I, I just think that, uh, you know, they, they can't let the Flames get away with uh, taking liberties with, uh, with McDavid for sure. I mean, they're going to play him hard, but there's a fine line between playing him hard and uh, playing outside the rules, and that'll be that'll be important to be officiated properly. Okay, I got one more for you, and I, I jotted down a few of the Battle of Alberta playoff games you played in that I would love to ask about, but we're getting low on time. So I'm actually going to – I'm not going to ask you about 91. I'm going to ask you about my favorite Oilers goal in history. Gretzky shorthanded in game two. Uh, April 21st, 1988, to put you guys up 2 nothing in a series you would eventually sweep. What do you remember about that uh, whole sequence or that game? I, I remember the famous quote from uh, Bill Penny, who was a longtime golf professional at the Edmonton Golf and Country Club. Wonderful guy and huge Oiler fan and a, and, and a buddy of Wayne's was, was in Calgary. And, uh, you know, game two, his quote was, Take the ice out, boys. We're not coming back. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know that 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 was uh, that ended up being uh, a, a very satisfying sweep. But what what a what a goal! What a shot by Wayne, right over the shoulder of Mike Fernand, who was a heck of a goaltender. All right, Craig, uh, of course we will do this again as the playoffs continue. Always love having you on. Enjoy the series. We'll talk soon, my friend. Yeah, I am really looking forward to this. And it's good that today's era players and all our players on our team get a good sense of the support and the adulation they have in the community and uh, what Edmonton is all about this time of year when the weather gets good. The playoffs are on, and the passion of the Oilers fans comes out. It's fantastic for our guys to experience that. Let's stay behind them and keep them going. As always, very well said by Craig McTavish, who joins us courtesy Avalon Foundation Repair, Western Canada's leading basement waterproofing company for over 50 years, home of the lifetime warranty. News and weather, and then Rob Brown as we set up the BOA. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.